Thank you, Stephen. So great to be with you guys today. Amen. Now, I am used to being on a Sunday night in the South Church and there um, with a team I'm leading, also the young adults groups there. And I'm, um, I'm used to questions. I'm used to crazy questions. So afterwards, if you have any questions, you are welcome to come and just ask me, speak to me, and I'll do my best to try and help you just to reach the next step in your growth. I'm, going, I'm a big picture person, so, so I like it if somebody tells me what they're going to do. When I read a book, I kind of want to read it from the back to the front, or I read the book and then I start going into the details. So I always have to read a book more than once, and I, not storybooks, I don't do storybooks, but, um, but always have to kind of see the big picture. So tonight I want to give you the big picture first and then go into where I'm going to go with this message and then start with the message. So I'll start with an introduction, then I'll go into Psalm 139. This might be a very familiar psalm to you, but as I was meditating on this psalm in this week, I'm over 50, so I, you, after 50 you start crying for everything. I just wanted to cry every time I read the psalm because I just realized how how incredible God is. So I want to do a short little bit of an exposition, a light exposition of Psalm 139. Then I want to go a little bit more philosophical and psychological, then get personal, if that's okay with you guys. So John 1 verse 45 says, um, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Nathanael asks. And then Philip said, come and see. What Nathanael was actually saying here was where you come from determines your identity. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Is it even possible? Or is it what Carl Jung is saying? I am not what happened to me. I am what I chose to become. I am not shaped by my outside forces, but by my independent choices. I cannot be defined by others. I must define myself. Doesn't that sound... Whoa. But is that true? His starting point is himself. So I cannot... Do I, am I, is my identity who I, where I come from? Or is it what I choose? Not what other people say. It sounds right, eh? Sounds right. Not what other people say, but what I say. Is that what my identity is? We've started this amazing series on identity, and I think now more than ever before, it is crucial. It is crucial for us to meditate, to ask questions. God, what does it mean? What does it mean when you say I'm made in your image? I'm made in the image of God. What does it even mean? But I want to go into Psalm 139 because the psalmist has a completely different perspective. There is no psalm like this psalm. I want you to close your eyes. I want to read through it once. 
And then I will go into it a little bit. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up into the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depth, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you have created my innermost being. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depth of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Where to count them? They would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. I want to stop right there. What an amazing psalm. I want us to look at it and I want you to think about this psalm with fresh eyes. When he says, Lord, search me. Search me and know me. He's talking about examining. It's a process. It's not just a quick thing. It's when he says, God knows me. God has searched me. He's examined my life. He uses words like, when I sit and when I rise, in my going out, in my lying down. He's saying that wherever I am, God is all around me. God is in the depth of my heart. He knows me. And that is our theme for today. God knows you. God knows you personally when he says, you know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going in and my lying down. You are familiar with my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you Lord, you know it completely. You hem 
me in behind and before. Do you know what it means to be hemmed in? Think of stitching. Think of, a, of being stitched, closed, by being like in, a, in like a sack of some kind and being stitched, closed. It's like God is, God knows, He knows you, He knows you completely. And this is a wonderful thought because this could be a real intimate place. Knowing that whatever I'm going through, God knows it. Because there's nothing, I have news for you. God is a witness to your life. He is a witness to your life. There is not one thing you do, you think, you say that he does not see. So that can either be a comforting thought to you or it can be a scary thought. It can make you secure or it can lay siege to your heart. Because sometimes we just, we're just in a dark place. But even in that dark place, God is right there and he sees you. And that's what that word means, that he knows you intimately when it says, he hems me in. He knows you intimately. I love when he says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up into the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depth, you are there. He's talking about time and space. You, are, you fill the space around me. Every moment of my existence, you witness. Isn't that fantastic to think about it? In your most lonely moments... He's with you. See, the psalmist knew this very well. He has a comprehensive understanding that God knows him comprehensively and in a pervasive sense. Like almost somebody interfering into your life, coming into your space. I like personal space and actually... This whole COVID thing was not too bad for me that we didn't have to touch people because I don't like to be touched. And I live in a house where at least three people loves to touch me the whole time. So after a day, I can feel quite abused. <laughs> so I would always have this personal space. And so sometimes I would say, listen, my personal space is a bit big. They don't care. They just kind of, they just, they have no con any consideration for my personal space. But can you... Uh, if you are like that and somebody stands very close to you, you can feel somebody's in my space. I want to say to you tonight, God wants to get into your space. He is in your space. God comprehensively and pervasively knows you. He is in your time and in your space. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on a far, in the far side of the sea, 
Even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. For darkness is as light to you. In the ancient Near East, light was associated with a deity, with a god. And darkness was associated with death and chaos. And as the psalmist is saying, you are with me in the light, in the, in the good times. But he's saying, even in the darkness, when I think I can hide from you, I cannot hide from you because your presence is all around me and with me every moment, every second in all time and space. You are with me. That means that light is always with me. And when there is light, there can be no darkness. Let me say it again. Where there is, no, where there is darkness and the light of God comes into your life, and if you just realize it, there can be no God, darkness. Because where there is light, there can be no darkness. Because even the darkness cannot be dark to God. You cannot hide from God's presence. For you created my inmost being. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. This is two loaded sentences. This means the psalmist is a creationist. He's not an evolutionist. <laughs> he believed that he was created. He realized that he was fearfully and wonderfully made. He was unique and special. But since... Um, Evolution started becoming very popular. Man lost its specialness. That's maybe why we can do what we want with our babies, our unborn babies, or even with our old people, or with our sick people. Maybe that is why we can legalize abortion and euthanasia. Because life is not special anymore. Because if you believe that you are only a random mutation, actually, I can do anything with you that is socially acceptable. But you see, if I believe that you are made in the image of God, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that means I treat you different doesn't matter who you are, what your social status is. doesn't matter what your color is, what nationality you are. It's almost ridiculous to think about it. Because you are made in the image of God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. But we live in a society that has lost its specialness. I've knitted you together in my mother's womb. This psalm answers the question, when does life start? Because there's many conversations around it and arguments. Life starts only when a child is born. Life starts only when a child can actually start interacting. 
life starts only when a child has an age of accountability. It's about 12, 11, 12, 13. Those are all the different, different arguments. So if you are truly not alive, then I can dispose of you. But the psalmist says here, when I was in my embryo stage, you made me. You were a witness to my life. Doesn't matter how you got there. The emphasis here when he says, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Is not on the workmanship, like a carpentry, like you were a carpent, you were a, um, a sculptor. It's not. It's not on the workmanship. The emphasis is on the mystery. The mystery of God creating you in His image, more like Him than anything else He has created. The emphasis is on that. You are a wonder. You are a mystery. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, that means in my mother's womb. When I was woven together in the depth of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. God was a witness to your life before you were born, when you were created. He knows. God is with him from the beginning to the end of his life. This psalm can be a scary psalm to you. Because God is with you always. Or it can give you great comfort. And you see the way that we are created as human beings is extremely personal. We see that in the psalm. God made us. He was a personal God. He is personally involved in your life. He's a witness to your life in time and space. Now let us think a little bit deeper. Augustine said, You have made us for yourself and your heart, and our hearts are restless for you. See, God made us to relate to one another and to relate to him. He made us relational beings. In this, him making us relational, what we often do is we find a way of, throughout the chaos that is in our life often, through the traumatic things that we go through, through the times of loneliness and through all the stages of life that we go through. 
we often find ways to wall people out. Isn't that true? We find ways to wall people out. As we go through our inner workings and we relate to people because we are relational beings. It's so easy for us to do that and we don't even realize it. But the, the worst thing about it all is that it is easy for us to wall God out. The one who is a witness to your life. The one who knows you like nobody else knows you. Like we've learned from the psalmist. It's easy to wall him out of your life. It's interesting for me in this week I was reading about, I'm reading on, on epistemology. Epistemology is, a, is the study of knowing. How do I know things? This is a complicated subject, but I was reading about idealism. Idealism is when you, how you find knowledge by, by thinking, by concepts, by starting with yourself. It's like the movie The Matrix. The Matrix Neo was sitting in a compartment kind of thing and his whole life was not real. It was all conceptual. So that's what idealism is a lot. Thomas Aquinas was a, was a metaphysical realist. That means that he would look at, at Calvin and he would, as he would relate to Calvin, he would experience the knowledge and the truth of who Calvin is. If I look at that chair, I, a realist would look at that chair and it will, see, it will judge according to the reality, the truth of that chair actually existing. And by that making its conclusions that that chair is true. I was thinking, you know, God is spirit. God the Father is spirit. But somehow God the Father did not want to be an abstraction in our minds. He didn't want to be a concept. He didn't want to be a thought. So what did he do? He sent his son. In the likeness of man. He, he sent his son in the incarnation when Jesus became fully human as fully God become fully human into this earth so that we have something to learn from who he is. He knows us, but do we know him? When you are made in the image of God, don't you think it's important to know who the God is? In whose image you are made. So God refused just to be a concept in your mind. A thought. An abstraction. So he sent his son. To come. Not just to die for you. But to show you who he is. Isn't that phenomenal? And there's many things that I love about the life of Jesus in the reality of being human. But there's two things for me 
that is extremely relatable. When Jesus sat in the Garden of Gethsemane and he sweat blood, there's actually five documented cases of people sweating blood because of extreme anxiety. He who was fully God, fully man, in that moment before death, experienced such a human emotion. And the second thing is when he was on the cross and he said, God, why? Why have you forsaken me? He experienced extreme loneliness. God sent his son to be with us in the trenches so that he, is not, he will not, he refuses to be a concept. He refuses to be just an idea. He wants to be with you right there in the trenches. He knows you. Do you truly know him? It's interesting for me, and if I get a little bit more personal. In the way that I grew up, I grew up in a challenging situation. But the first time I did LTS as a 19-year-old girl here at Hatfield, I didn't even know that there was something like uh, inner healing. <laughs> and um, I remember, I thought it was a leadership training school. And uh, I think it was perfect because as I walked into that leadership training school, God completely caught me off guard. Because my life and my heart was so walled in. Who I was was so walled in. And I walled people out. And I thought I knew who God was. And that first week, man, I was a mess. Because they did for the heart of God. And the conception, the, the thought of who God was, the idea became real. through the cross and for the first time in my life God the father who he was and how much he loves me how he knows me became real and God started breaking my walls down which is great about two years ago I went through some with the same people, I went through some of the same difficulties. And I thought, yeah, I'm experiencing the same emotions that I did when I was, um, when I was 19 years old. I was like, God, what's going on here? Did I not forgive? Did I not, did you not heal me? Is healing real? And then I realized, but I'm, it's more raw, but it's also Okay, because I'm rooted in a different way. I'm no longer protected by my walls. 
But my heart is open and surrendered before God and before people. And I realized I was extremely vulnerable, but it was okay to be because I'm known by God and he loves me and it's actually real to me. And I, I want to read this scripture to you. in Philippians. I've been fascinated by Paul and how he just handles life. Philippians 3. Paul talks about his identity. Paul had to defend his identity many times. In 2 Corinthians, they said to him, you are brave when you write, but when you are here, you are a weak man. In 2 Corinthians, the Corinthian church, you climbed the social ladder if you were good in speaking, in rhetoric, and um, you, were, you were able to present yourself well. And, and they just thought that Paul was a terrible, uh, he, he was just terrible at speaking, and he was not a great leader. So somehow Paul... In 2 Corinthians, when you read it, when you study that book, it's fantastic to study 2 Corinthians. You read how Paul is somehow just, it's like I see a splash of his heart on the page. An unwalled heart on the page. Because he's able to love those people who hurts him. Philippians 3, verse 7. But whatever were gained to me, I now, consider, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in him. I consider them garbage that I may be found in him. Every year I have a scripture that I just meditate on. And this is my words. To be found in him. When, when I read Psalm 139. When I read the psalmist. And I read the reality. The, the realness of his life. When I read and I realize how his suffering is open, how he's vulnerable. It's like a splash of blood on a page. Paul says, while he's in lockdown, while he's waiting to be executed, while he's considering his whole identity, and before that, he, he explains to you a Hebrew of Hebrew. He was, he was extremely educated. He was perfect in the law. His identity used to be found in that. 
And now where he is, he says, I consider all of that, my education, everything, I consider it garbage. It's a loss to be found in you. Now, what am I saying? I'm saying this to you, that you are known by God like nothing else. You cannot hide from Him. I'm saying to you that we have a way of walling God out and walling people out. Isn't that interesting that He said two great commandments, love the Lord your God and love people. We have a way of walling God out. We have a way of walling people out. I'm saying to you, God is not a concept. He's not an idea. He went through all that trouble so that you can know Him. I'm saying to you, will you let God take siege of your heart? I'm saying to you that when you're going through difficult times, when you go through times of loneliness, times of trauma, times of loss, times of feeling, I want to wall people out. I want to wall God out because he's too close. I want to say to you, will you be brave enough To, to allow God to enter your life in such a way that you will discover that there is a life greater than death. That there is a love greater than fear. If you would be brave enough to say, Lord, will you, will you reveal yourself to me? I want to be known by you. The worshipped guys can come up. In this time that we've been in and covered. We have experienced lots of trauma, lots of loss, lots of disorder, lots of chaos. But sometimes we can try and busy our lives. It's one of our strategies so that we do not have to face what is truly bothering us. We were confronted in many ways. And when you go through difficult times, when you go through traumatic times, the way that you learn not to wall God out is by inviting Him in to the brokenness of your heart.
inviting him in and letting him take your hand and walk you through the complications of your life. Henry Nowen tells the story, or he, he talks about Mary standing in front of the cross. And if I think about Mary standing in front of the cross, I'm, stand, I'm thinking of a mother standing in front of her boy being crucified. Most probably in that moment thinking, yes, I know he's God. Yes, I know all these wonderful things that he's done, but he is my son. But Mary did not run away. She did not faint. She stood in her pain. And she met God right there. And sometimes it takes a bravery to stand in your pain. To wait right there and to say, God, I want to discover a life that is stronger than death. I want to discover a love that is stronger than fear. Just close your eyes. How do we respond to a God who made you, who knows you, who sent his son to die a violent death, not just to save you, but so that you can know him. He wants to take siege of your heart. He wants to interfere in your life. He wants to fill every space, every moment. He wants you to discover who He is. He refuses to be an abstraction, a concept, a mythology. Won't you say, Lord, come? Doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, just say, Lord, come into my heart. I invite you in. Come and break down every wall. I want to be desperate for you. Come and break down every wall. Show me where I have walled you out of my life. I want to be found in you. What an incredible comfort. I am never, ever, ever alone because He is with me.
Come, Holy Spirit, right now. Come and fill every space of our hearts, of our being, of our minds. Because you know me. I belong. There was never a time that I did not belong. There was never, ever a time I did not belong. Because I'm your child. Let's just be quiet for a moment. Just really feel to war against the spirit of death. We come against the spirit of death in Jesus' name. Of darkness in Jesus' name. We break your powers in the name of Jesus Christ. Come Holy Spirit. Come and set us free. And you just want to say right there, I choose life. Let those words come out of your mouth so that your ears can hear it. I choose life. I choose life. I pray, Lord, that you would bring joy into our hearts. Fill our hearts right now. Fill our hearts with joy. You have chosen us. You have made us. You have made us special. You have made us unique. Just come, Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that you would do a deep work in our hearts. In this week that comes, I pray that these words will ring in our minds. I pray, Lord, do not leave us alone for one moment. Let the hound of heaven chase us down. Break every wall down. Break every door down. Wrap his arms around us. And love us. I pray, Lord, help us to discover a life greater than death. A love greater than fear. We give your name glory. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for making yourself known. Thank you for knowing us in such an intimate way. Let your life shine in our chaos and in our darkness. Work your surrender in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. If anybody wants specific prayer, you're welcome to come afterwards to the front. Am I right, Stephen? Where's Stephen? I can't even see him. Is it right? <laughs> and um, if from next week, we are in the auditorium. And if you can sit two minutes in your chair, you can get an ice cream. <laughs> so thank you for being here tonight. And... 
please meditate on Psalm 139. Don't look at it as just another psalm, a familiar psalm, but let it really change your life. Amen. Thank you, everybody.